Hi, friends. We're going to get started with bonding and chemical interactions. So, uh, the atoms of most elements, except for a few noble gases, can combine to form molecules. The atoms within these molecules are held together by strong attractive forces called chemical bonds formed via the interaction of the valence electrons of the combining atoms. The chemical and physical properties will be different. Um, and for many molecules, the constituent atoms will bond according to the octet rule, which states that an atom tends to bond with another atom so that it has eight electrons in total in its outermost shell. So it forms a stable electron configuration similar to that of the noble gases. However, this is like a rule of thumb because there's a lot of exceptions. So like hydrogen that only has two valence electrons, lithium, beryllium, which bond to attain two and four valence electrons, etc., etc. So incomplete octet is the elements that are stable with fewer than eight electrons in their valence shell, and they include hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, and boron. There's an expanded octet where any element in period three and greater can hold more than eight electrons, including phosphorus, sulfur, chlorine, and many others. And then there's the people who have odd numbers of electrons, so any molecule with an odd number of valence electrons cannot distribute those electrons to give eight to each atom. For example, nitric oxide has 11 valence electrons. And we also have different kinds of bonding. So there's ionic and covalent. Ionic bonding is where one or more electrons from an atom with low ionization energy is transferred to an atom with high electron affinity, typically a nonmetal. The resulting electrostatic attraction between opposite charges is what holds the ions together. So this is the nature of the bond in something like sodium chloride, where the positively charged cation is electrostatically attached, attracted to the negatively charged anion. And it creates lattice structures. Then we have covalent bonding, where an electron pair is shared between two atoms, which is typically nonmetals that have similar values of electronegativity, and the degree to which the pair of electrons is shared equally or unequally between the two atoms determines the degree of polarity in the covalent bond. So if they pair equally, then it's a co non-polar covalent bond, and if it's unequal, then it's polar, and if both of the shared electrons are contributed by only one of the two atoms, the bond is called coordinate covalent. So ionic bonds form between atoms that have significantly different electronegativities. So the atom that loses the electron becomes a cation, and the atom that gains one is an anion. So metals lose electrons to become cations, and they're positive. Those all have Ts. And then we have nonmetals that gain electrons to become anions. And that's negative, which is all has Ns. Uh, electrons are not shared in an ionic bond. There has to be transfers. There must be a very great electronegativity difference that is greater than 1.7 on the Pauling scale. Uh, so then we will look at physical properties of ionic compounds. So because of the strength of electrostatic force, um, they're very high melting and boiling points. They can form a crystalline lattice consisting of repeating positive and negative ions, and the attractive forces are maximized and the repulsive forces are minimized. In covalent bonding, uh, atoms will share electrons when two atoms have similar tendency to attract electrons form a compound. The covalent compounds will contain discrete molecular units with relatively weak intermolecular interaction interactions and they don't break down into constituent ions. So they're poor conductors of electricity in the liquid state or in aqueous solutions and they have lower melting and boiling points. Uh, so the formation of a covalent bond can differ. So you can form many bonds 
Uh, you can have a single, double, or triple covalent bond, and the number of shared electron pairs between two atoms is called the bond order. So a single bond has a bond order of one, double, two, triple, three. So there's bond length. That's a, an important characteristic of a covalent bond. It's the average distance between the two nuclei atoms in a bond. Or the number of shared electron pairs increases, the two atoms are pulled closer together, resulting in a decrease in bond length. So for a given pair of atoms, a triple bond is shorter than a double bond, which is shorter than a single bond. Then we have bond energy. It's energy required to break a bond by separating its components into their isolated gaseous atomic states. The greater the number of pairs of electrons shared between the atomic nuclei, the more energy is required to break the bonds holding the atoms together. So triple bonds have the greatest bond energy and single bonds have the lowest. Then we have polarity, where two atoms with different relative difference in electronegativities occurs. Uh, when these two atoms come together, they must negotiate the degree to which the electron pairs will be shared. So the one with the higher electronegativity will get the larger share of electron density. And this will create a dipole with a positive end of the dipole at the less electronegative atom and a negative end at the more electronegative atom. And when they have nearly identical or identical electronegativities, it will be a nonpolar bond and they share the electrons equally. There's no separation of charge. So usually this really only exists in diatomic molecules and there can be close to nonpolar. Uh, so polar covalent bonds have difference in electronegativities between 0.5 and 1.7. Um, there can be a separation of charge. There's the partial negative and partial positive charge that we discussed earlier. The dipole moment of the polar bond or polar molecule is a vector quantity given by the equation P equals QD, where P is the dipole moment, Q is the magnitude of the charge, and D is the displacement vector separating the two partial charges. And so this is represented by an arrow pointing from the positive to the negative charge measured in Debye units, or Debye units, aka Coulomb meters. In a coordinate covalent bond, both of the shared electrons originate on the same atom, and this means that a lone pair of one atom attack another atom with an unhybridized p orbital to form a bond. And so once this forms, it's indistinguishable from any other covalent bond. And yeah, these usually happen in Lewis acid-base reactions. And a Lewis acid is any compound that will accept a lone pair of electrons, while a Lewis space is any compound that will donate a pair of electrons from a, to form a covalent bond. Um, so bonding electrons are the electrons involved in a covalent bond in the valence shell, and non-bonding electrons are those in the valence shell that are not involved in covalent bonds. They're also known as lone pairs because they're associated only with one atomic nucleus. And because atoms can bond with other atoms in many different combinations, we use Lewis structures to keep track of the bonded and non-bonded electron pairs. So the number of valence electrons attributed to a particular atom is not the same as the number of valence electrons in the neutral atom. Uh, this difference accounts for the formal charge of an atom in a Lewis structure. So you can have different bond connectivity or arrangement. And they don't represent the actual or theoretical geometry of a real compound, they just show the different possible ways in which atoms can be combined. So it's the chemical symbol of an element surrounded by dots, each representing one of the S or P valence electrons of the atom. So for like lithium, it's an Li with a dot, beryllium is L uh, Be with two dots, oxygen is O with six dots, etc, etc. The steps for drawing it is to just draw out the backbone of the compound, so the arrangement of atoms. So the least electronegative atom is the central atom. Hydrogen always in the halogens F, C, L, B, R, and I usually occupy a terminal position. Uh, and then 
We count all the valence electrons of the atom, so the number of valence electrons of the molecule is the sum of the valence electrons of all the atoms present. Then we draw single bonds between the central atom and the atom surrounding it. Each single bond is a pair of electrons, and then we complete all the octets of all the atoms bonded to the central atom using the remaining valence electrons left to be assigned. So then you place any extra electrons in the on the central atom, and if it has less than an octet, try to write double or triple bonds using the lone pairs or the surrounding atoms. And to determine if the Lewis structure is representative of the actual arrangement of atoms in a compound, we use the formal charge. So we assume a perfectly equal sharing of all bonded electron pairs, regardless of actual differences in electronegativity. So each uh, electron pair is split evenly between the two nuclei and the bond. And so the difference between the number of electrons assigned to an atom in the Lewis structure and the number of electrons normally found in the atom's valence shell is the formal charge, which is in an equation that looks like this. It's V minus N sub non-bonding minus one half N sub bonding, where V is the normal number of electrons in the valence shell. N sub non-bonding is the number of non-bonding electrons, and N sub bonding is the number of bonding electrons. And double the number of bonds because each bond has two electrons. And the charge of an ion or compound is equal to the sum of the formal charges of the individual atoms comprising the ion or compound. So a difference between formal charge and oxidation number. So formal charge underestimates the effect of electronegativity difference, whereas oxidation numbers overestimate, assuming that the more electronegative atom has 100% share of the bonding electron pair. Uh, then we have resonance. So resonance structures are represented with a double-headed arrow between them. Um, it's possible to draw two or more Lewis structures that demonstrate the same arrangement of atoms but differ in the specific placement of electrons. The actual electronic distribution in the compound is a hybrid or a composite of all the possible res resonance structures. Uh, the nature of the bonds is a hybrid. So if we look at the spectral data, it would indicate that the two bonds are identical and equivalent. And this is known as resonance, and the actual structure of the compound is called a resonance hybrid. Um, so you can use formal charge to assess the stability of resonance structures using the following guidelines. So if a Lewis structure has small or no formal charges, it's preferred over something else. If it has less separation between opposite charges, that's preferred. And then if the negative formal charges are placed on more electronegative atoms, that's more stable. Um, so as we were saying before, there are lots of exceptions to the octet rule. Uh, so we'll start off with... We'll start off with um, actually, yeah. Just know that there are exceptions. We don't need to go over all of them. Um, but because Lewis dot structures do not suggest or reflect the actual geometric arrangement of atoms in a compound, we need another system to provide this information, and that's known as the valence shell electron pair repulsion theory. We, this uses the Lewis dot structures to predict the molecular geometry of covalently bonded molecules, and it states that the three-dimensional arrangement of atoms surrounding a central atom is determined by the repulsions between bonding and non-bonding electron pairs in the valence shell of the central atom. These electron pairs arrange themselves as far as possible, and they minimize repulsive forces. So you use VSEPR, um, you draw the Lewis dot structure, you count the total number of bonding and non-bonding electron pairs in the valence shell, and then you arrange the electron pairs around the central atom so that they're as far apart as possible. And then we can go over the electronic geometries. So electronic geometry describes the spatial arrangement of all pairs of electrons around the central atom, including both bonding and lone pairs. And in contrast, the molecular geometry describes the spatial arrangement of only the bonding pairs of electrons. 
The coordination number is the number of atoms that thrown and are bonded to a central atom and is a relevant factor when determining molecular geometry. So like CH4 and H3 and H2O all have the same electronic geometry and each compound there are four pairs of electrons surrounding the central atom, which is tetrahedral, but because each molecule has a different coordination number, they have different molecular geometries. So methane has tetrahedral, ammonia has trigonal pyramidal, and water is angular or bent. Um, we'll also be looking at the determination of the ideal bond angle. Um, it's just trying to see how repulsion is exerted and how that affects the bond angle of the molecule. Um, we talked about polarity of molecules already. So when the molecular geometry is arranged such that the bond dipole does not cancel each other out, the molecule will have a net dipole moment and therefore will be polar. So like the OH bonds in water are polar with each um, hydrogen atom resuming, assuming, assuming a partial positive charge and the oxygen assuming a partial negative charge. And then we will look at the atomic and molecular orbitals to finish off our discussion of covalent bonds. So this is kind of hard to talk about. I think it's helpful to look at it maybe more. Um, when two atoms bond to form a compound, the atomic orbitals interact to form a molecular orbital that describes the probability of finding the bonding electrons in a given space. Molecular orbitals are obtained by combining the wave functions of the atomic orbitals. Qualitatively, the overlap of the two atomic orbitals describes this molecular orbital. So if the signs of the two atomic orbitals are the same, a bonding orbital forms. And if the signs are different, an anti-bonding orbital forms. Two different patterns of overlap are observed in the formation of molecular bonds. So when they overlap head-to-head, -head, it's a sigma bond and they allow for free rotation about their axes because the electron density of the bonding orbital is a single linear accumulation between the atomic nuclei. When they overlap in such a way that there are two parallel electron cloud densities, there's a pi bond, and they don't allow for free rotation because the electron densities of the orbital orbitals are parallel and cannot be twisted in such a way that allows continuous overlapping of the clouds of electron densities. So then we're going to get into intermolecular forces because atoms and compounds will all participate in weak electrostatic interactions and these intermolecular forces can impact physical properties. Um, we have the London dispersion forces, then dipole-dipole interactions, then the hydrogen bond, which are the strongest. So London dispersion forces are a type of van der Waals force. Um, basically... They are the result of induced dipoles that change and shift moment to moment. They don't extend over long distances, and they're significant only when molecules are in close proximity. Their strength depends on the degree and ease by which the molecules can be polarized and how easily the electrons can be shifted around. Uh, large molecules are more easily polarizable than comparable smaller molecules, and they have greater dispersion forces. Um, the way that this basically happens is the bonding electrons in nonpolar covalent bonds can be a can be shared equally between two atoms, but at any point in time, they can be randomly throughout the orbital. And in any given moment, the electron density may be unequally distributed, and this results in rapid polarization and counterpolarization of the electron cloud and formation of short-lived dipole moments. Subsequently, these dipoles interact with the electron clouds of neighboring compounds, inducing the formation of more dipoles, and the momentarily negative end of one molecule will cause the closest region in any neighboring molecule to become temporarily positive, and this causes the other end to become temporarily negative, which again, induces other molecules to become temporarily polarized, and the cycle starts over again. So these little attractive repulsive interactions are called London dispersion forces. Then there are dipole-dipole interactions that are present in the solid and liquid phases, but become negligible in the gas phase because of the significantly increased distance between gas particles. 
Um, Basically, polar molecules orient themselves in a way that the oppositely charged ends of the respective molecular dipoles are closest to each other. Positive is close to negative of another molecule, and this is favorable because there's attractive electrostatic force, and this is noted by some dashed lines, which is dipole-dipole interactions. And then hydrogen bonds are specific and unusually strong form of dipole-dipole interaction that can be intra- or intermolecular. They're not actually bonds, there's no sharing or transferring of electrons, but when a hydrogen is bonded to one of three highly electronegative atoms, nitrogen, oxygen, or fluorine, the hydrogen atom carries only a small amount of electron density in the covalent bond, and it acts as a naked proton. It can interact with a partial negative charge and of nearby molecules and um, allows for high boiling points, and there's a very large energy required to break the hydrogen bonds. So now we'll go into the concept summary. So starting off with bonding, chemical bonds can be ionic or covalent. Elements will form bonds to attain a noble gas-like electron configuration. The octet rule states that elements will be most stable with eight valence electrons. However, there are many exceptions to this rule. Elements with an incomplete octet are stable with fewer than eight electrons and include hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, and boron. Elements with an expanded octet are stable with more than eight electrons and include all elements in period three or greater. Compounds with an odd number of electrons cannot have eight electrons in, on each element. An ionic bond is formed via the transfer of one or more electrons from an element with a relatively low ionization energy to any to an element with a relatively high electron affinity. Ionic bonds occur between elements with large differences in electronegativity, usually between metals and nonmetals. A positively charged ion is called a cation, and negatively is anion. The resulting electrostatic attraction between them causes them to retain in close proximity, forming a bond, and form a crystalline lattice that are large organized arrays of ions. And they have unique chemical and physical properties, which is that they tend to dissociate in water and other polar solvents. They have high melting points when they're solids. Then we have covalent bonds, which are formed via the sharing of electrons between two elements of similar electronegativities. Bond order is whether a covalent bond is single bond, double bond, or triple bond, and as bond order increases, bond strength increases, and bond energy increases, and bond length decreases. They can be categorized as nonpolar or polar based on the nature of the elements involved. So nonpolar bonds result in molecules in which both atoms have exactly the same electronegativity. So some bonds are considered nonpolar when there is a very small difference in electronegativity between the atoms. And then polar bonds form when there's a significant difference in electronegativities, but not enough to transfer electrons and form an ionic bond. And the more electronegative atom or element will take on a partial negative and less is a partial positive. Coordinate covalent bonds are when a single atom provides both bonding electrons while the other atom does not contribute any, and they occur in Lewis acid base chemistry. Lewis dot symbols are a chemical representation of an atom's valence electrons, and drawing a complete Lewis dot structure requires a balance of valence bonding and non-bonding electrons in a molecule or ion. Formal charges exist when an atom is surrounded by more or fewer valence electrons than it has in its neutral state, assuming equal sharing of electrons in a bond. For any molecule with a pi system of electrons, resonance structures exist that represent all of the possible configurations of electrons, stable and unstable, that contribute to the overall structure. The valence shell electron pair repulsion theory, or VESPER, predicts a 3D molecular geometry of covalently bonded molecules. And in this theory, electrons, whether bonding or non-bonding, arrange themselves to be as far as, part, as possible from each other, um, leading to their geometries. Non-bonding electrons exert more repulsion than bonding electrons because they reside closer to the nucleus. And electron Electronic geometry refers to the position of all electrons in a molecule, whether bonding or non-bonding, and molecular geometry refers to the position of the, only the bonding pairs of electrons in a molecule. The polarity of molecules is dependent on the dipole moment of each bond and the sum of the dipole moments in a molecular structure. 
All polar molecules contain polar bonds. Nonpolar molecules can have nonpolar or polar bonds with dipole moments that cancel each other. Sigma and pi bonds describe the, period, the patterns of overlap observed when molecular bonds are formed. So sigma bonds are the result of head-to-head -head overlap, and pi bonds are the result of the overlap of two parallel electron cloud densities. And finally, with intermolecular forces, there are electrostatic attractions between molecules. They are significantly weaker than covalent bonds, which are weaker than ionic bonds. There's London dispersion forces, the weakest interactions, but they're present in all atoms and molecules, and as the size of the atom or structure increases, so does the corresponding London dispersion force. Then there's dipole-dipole interactions, which occur between the oppositely charged ends of polar molecules. They're stronger than London forces, and these interactions are evident in the solid and liquid phases, but negligible in the gas phase due to the distance between particles. And finally, there are hydrogen bonds, which are a specialized subset of dipole-dipole interactions involved in intra- and intermolecular attraction. Hydrogen bonding occurs when hydrogen is bonded to one of three very electronegative atoms, so fluorine, oxygen, or nitrogen. Okay, so we're getting a little bit heavier, and we're going to get into compounds and stoichiometry next. Definitely think that this will be a little bit of a longer chapter next, but catch you there.